Today, I want to talk to you about finding and restoring hope. You know, when you look at the headlines around us, there is nothing but conflict and turmoil and hardship, it seems, at every turn. Everything from mass shootings to natural disasters, it seems like there's not a part of the world right now that is not experiencing some kind of tragedy, pain, and turmoil. When I talk with people in our community, you know, some incredibly difficult things have happened in your life, whether it's in your past or recently that is weighing you down. Everything from, uh, you know, employment and companies that are falling apart to uh, loss of loved ones to uh, just anxiety and depression, doubt, fear, worry, guilt, shame, you name it. There's darkness that seems to follow us everywhere we go, which leaves us crying out for hope. I don't know um, if you experience that or not, but in most cases, when we're, when we're facing that darkness, there's an anger, there's a frustration, there's a tension that comes out of us, uh, for some of us. And we see that in movements uh, in our country. We also see that some people just crumble under the weight of it and try to hide and run and disappear. And God doesn't want anyone to miss out on hope. And today... I, I want to encourage you maybe to think about hope a little differently. Because for most of us, hope is the absence of problems. And we long for that day where we're past the problems so that we have hope. But that's not really hope. I want to kind of challenge your perspective a little bit. I want to encourage you a ton. And today, I want to help you know what to do to find hope. I want you to remember a few things. When you're looking for hope. The first point I want to give you this morning is to remember who God is. Remember who God is. That's the hardest thing to do when you're looking for hope, right? Because for some of us that are in this room, maybe we've been in church culture for a while. We pray about everything. We ask God to bless. We ask God to do miracles. We ask God to, you know, to, you know, fix things and remove pain and frustration. And it just seems to multiply from there. And so that really challenges the way we view God. Is God really loving and compassionate? Does he care? Does he listen? Is he mad at me? Does he even know I exist? And it it creates all these twisted perceptions about who he is. Because the pain is very real. And because it's very real, it can get in the way of, of how we really view the world around us. It's hard to keep a big picture mindset when your world has come crashing down on you. And it's because God is a lot bigger than we ever hoped or imagined. He's a lot closer than we could ever possibly think of. And we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-7. through 7. Speaking to the Corinthians church, talking about the struggles that they're facing. He says, Let us give thanks to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the merciful Father, the God from whom all help comes it's telling us right off the bat to give thanks to god wherever we are whatever's going on in our life to give thanks to god that's a hard thing to do isn't it you know and it's not like one of those typical ideas where we just thank god that he has backed up the truck of hardship in our life and just dumped on us i don't think that that's what it means i don't think we're thanking god for our circumstances i think we're thanking god that he's god right thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. To remember the best understanding that we have of God is seen in the person of Jesus Christ. And he uses three words, Lord Jesus Christ. Sovereign, Savior, Messenger. Prophet, priest, and king. 
there are three ministries that Jesus provides to us. He speaks truth to us as prophet. He ministers to us as a priest. And he rules over our lives. He will be a good leader for us to follow as our king. And he's saying, the best that you understand about God, everything that you can see in Jesus, remember the compassion, the love, the mercy of Jesus. The fact that God did not remain distant from hardship, that he entered into hardship, that he experienced hardship, that he went through hardship. He walks with you in hardship, that he went after those that were broken, forgotten, marginalized, rejected, hated, despised, put down, disregarded, and had no hope. God spent his time with those people. So if you find yourself there today, whether it's through self-inflicted, actions or things have happened to you because you've been victimized by other people the truth is is that god is there and he wants to be there he's he is the prophet priest and king god who loves you and he's all merciful the merciful father that's really hard to imagine sometimes because maybe we're not merciful fathers or we haven't had a merciful father figure in our life but god does not look down on us and said you get what you deserve God comes down and he said, this is not what I intended at all. And if you'll come to me, I'll see you through. It's a powerful promise. You have to remember that God is merciful and that we can come to him. We have to remember who God is. second thing that we need to remember is we need to remember Jesus himself is our peace and our hope, right? So many of us think that hope is something that God kind of sends to us and it's detached from him. Hope is this intangible thing. It's this wish, this confidence, this detached confidence that somehow everything's going to work out all right, that we're going to get the job we want or the pain is going to go away or we're just going to wake up magically one day and everything's going to be fine. We, we see hope detached from the person of Jesus. But everywhere in the Bible, we, it is taught that Jesus is our hope, that Jesus is hope, that that's his personality, that's his attribute, that's his character, that's who he is. And as we get Jesus, we get hope. That's a really powerful thought. That God possesses the very things that we need. And instead of just giving us things, he gives us himself Right? Because isn't that what we're really looking for in hope? To know that we're not alone? Most of us get that life is hard. That there are going to be bad days. There are going to be hard days. There are going to be painful days. And we may wrestle with the whys of it and, and the sense of it. But we know deep down inside that this is something that every human being on the face of the planet goes through. All 8 billion people that are alive today will experience hardship and will need hope. Everybody who has ever lived or ever will live will you know, have that need for hope. We get that. But what we're really asking for and hope is that someone would come alongside us. That when we don't have the ability to go on, that someone would be there to lift us up, to care for us, to listen to us, to be there for us. This is the beauty of our God. Is that he wants to be with us. Where do we see this? Back in 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 3 again says, Let us give thanks to God, the God of our, uh, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the merciful Father, the God from whom all help comes. Or comfort, right? We talked about this in our previous series. This word comfort and help are simultaneous. Comfort means to call near. 
Think about that. We look at comfort as something that's given to us. We call it near. He's saying, I'm the God of all comfort. I hold comfort and I'm calling you near. It's different. God wants to give you something that you're not able to hold on to for yourself. Why? Because the pain is real. The circumstances are real. The challenges are big. And they're, they're difficult to change. But when we come to Christ and we rely on Christ, we gain him, we gain his attributes, we gain his presence, we become alive, he dwells within us. And because he dwells within us, we can have the things that belong to him within our hearts. We can have unconditional love, we can have hope, we can have peace, we can have joy, we can have patience, we have kindness, gentleness, self-control. We can have everything about God's attributes, these attributes that he's wired us to reflect and experience him with, we can have those in Jesus. God offers us himself. Why is this powerful? Because it's not based on you and I. You don't have to believe enough. You don't have to pray enough. You don't have to act in a certain way to have these things. The reason that you pray, the reason that you believe, and the reason that you repent and turn to him is so that you experience those things, that you realize those things, that you see what's already in front of you, that you would have the fullness of life in him. This is what God wants you to have. This is what he wants me to have. This is what he wants everybody to have. Hope is Jesus himself, and God offers himself to us in Jesus. The third thing I want you to remember is that your life will not be trouble-free. Right? We've touched on that. Your life will not be trouble-free. There are going to be hardships. There are going to be pain in your life. We see this in 2 Corinthians and verse 4. It says, He helps us in all our troubles. God expects for there to be difficult days. Sometimes we bring those days upon ourselves. Other times they come at us and they, we didn't deserve it at all. We didn't look for it at all. And God says that He helps us in all our troubles. All of what weighs us down. All of our afflictions. All includes everything. Everything. God calls us near in all of our troubles. The question is, will we come to him? See, what happens is, is that a lot of times we pray and we expect God to, to give us his perfect life. And maybe we don't say these words exactly, but we're really just kind of hoping that there wouldn't be anything there. It's, the, it's a wish, right? It's a wish that there would be a life without problems. There would be a life without pain. There would be a life without suffering that somehow we would wake up one day and it goes away. But God promises his presence in the midst of those things, which means he promises to see us through. There are better days coming. It's not all doom and gloom. It's not leaving us in our pain. It's walking with us in our pain. It's walking with us in our brokenness. It's walking with us in our doubts and fears and struggles. We don't have to go looking for him. He's right there saying, follow me, come to me. See, this is a lot bigger than our morality, isn't it? This is the idea that God wants to have a friendship with you. He wants you to know and be aware of his presence in your life every single day. This is what God has for us. He helps us in all of our troubles. 
We're not supposed to have a perfect life. And so we have to lose that idea that somehow if bad things happen, that somehow we have ticked God off and he has left the building and that's why all this hardship is happening to us. That's a lie. You're never going to find hope and you're never going to come to Jesus. You're never going to come to him if that's your view, that he's an angry, spiteful, unmerciful king, ruler, father. Next thing we need to remember is that no one's life is trouble-free. Because see, that's the other thing. When things, we're going through hard times and difficulties, we look around us and we're going to say, man, that person has nothing going on. And I can think of at least 10 good reasons God should smite them, right? We, you ever had that thought or is that just me? Um, <laughs> you have, and if you're not, you're lying. Um, but anyway, you know it's true, right? So it's like we, we have these experiences. We look at other people's lives and somehow we feel like they have an inroad to God. They're closer. They're more connected. And that they are, it seems to work for them, but it doesn't work for me. And that's not true. Everybody's life has hardship. Nobody's life is perfect. Why is this important to understand? Because there's a segment of Christianity that when they hear about people's brokenness and people finally take the risk and start opening up about what they're struggling with, there's a point, there's some people within the church that would say, you know what you need to do? Dot, dot, dot. As if their wisdom of perfection is really what's going to fix that person's problem. We have no idea what's going on in another person's life. We know general surface information. We don't know the depths of what's going on. And yet we want to come in there and tell them what they need to do to fix their lives so that they can be just like us. Listen, when people break your heart and they let you down in the body of Christ, it's not because they're horrible, rotten, stinking, selfish people. It's because they're broken, hurting, and struggling people. But see, when we look at people about what they're supposed to give to us, and we think that their life, our life is perfect and their life should be just like ours, then we actually offer no hope to anybody. We become the kind of church that nobody wants to go to. Right? The place where you can't be honest and genuine. Where you can't peel back the curtain a little bit. And let people minister to you and encourage you and listen to you. Without fear of judgment, condemnation. You know, what's interesting though is that you actually do more damage to yourself than you do to the person that you call out. Because see, when you expect life to be perfect and you expect other people's lives to be perfect, you become a very critical person. Because you're already critical of yourself. People will find hope and encouragement. There are people that that they will be able to connect with that will build them up and point them to Jesus. The question is, for those of us that are striving for that perfection, can we ever let our guards down enough to love another person? Even when we feel like they've made the wrong choice. Even when they've let us down. Can we actually forgive so remember how we were forgiven? Can we actually love remembering that we were loved? See, it's, it's God's life coming full circle. As we give it away, we realize what God has given us, right? Isn't that what this verse teaches us? 
He helps us in all of our troubles so that we are able to help others who have all kinds of troubles. God helps us in our specific problems. We come to him in humility and realize that our lives are not perfect so that we can help others who have all kinds of troubles so we can give it away. So God helps us in our troubles and, we, and, and it comes full circle when we extend the same thing that we receive from God to another human being. And it's a beautiful thing that happens. And what's beautiful about it is it's not a program. <laughs> it's not necessarily a recovery group. It's not a spiritual gifting kind of thing. It's just honest life. Here's where I'm struggling to connect with Jesus. And I just want you to know, I'm here for you. I'm praying for you. I care about you. More importantly, God cares about you. It's that honest Me too, in process, not expecting you to be anywhere that I'm not. And this is what God has for us. He wants us to remember that no one's life is trouble-free. Another thing that we need to remember is hope is found in community. Hope is found in community. The biggest temptation that all of us face, the biggest temptation that every pastor faces when we run up against brokenness, is to live in isolation. You want to know how some of these high-profile leaders come crumbling down, end up, you know, alcoholics, cheat on their wives, you know, and, and, and disappoint God's people, right? It's not because they're the celebrity pastor and there's something wrong with celebrity pastors. That whole idea, if they're a celebrity, it's because we've made them a celebrity. It's a, that's a community problem. The problem is, is when we start to receive that identity and we live in isolation as a celebrity. We don't pull back the curtain enough. We don't have people that we can really rely on and trust. My question is, where was that stinking elder board in that man's life before he crumbled? Where was community that says, we need to slow down. Growth isn't everything. Spiritual health is. Growth isn't a bad thing, but it's a bad thing without healthy people, right? This is just my world. And if there's any hope of seeing community, true community within the body of Christ, I have to not live in isolation. I'm part of that. Same is true for you. The biggest temptation is to say, I'm hurting and people should hunt me down and look for me. Well, it's really hard. Here's why it's hard. Not because you don't deserve to be cared for. And not that, that, it's, that you don't deserve a phone call or a, a note of encouragement or any of those things. But there becomes a problem when, when we live in isolation because... When, when I separate myself from the larger context of the body, I place expectations on you that you don't even know exist. How is anybody supposed to help if I'm closed off and removed? I think the same would be true for you. Community is a two-way street. There has to be a bunch of people with open arms that are unwilling to let you 
fall away and run away. And then you have to be willing to be a part of building that kind of community, embracing that kind of community, and receiving that kind of community. If we don't, we create an us-versus-them mentality. Those people that have it right and should be there, and those that are hurting and never receive. That's not community, that's conflict. It takes both, right? And again, if we were to go through and we could put LCD screens on everybody's heads and we could see what you're struggling with right now, we would realize that all of us are jacked up and none of us really have that much to offer one another other than some simple reminders out of looking at God's word, right? And a commitment to walk in these reminders every day. That's the strength of community. And it's something that everybody can give and receive at the same time. As God comforts me, I give it away in real time. In real time. Not God comforts me and I get better and then I finally have something to help somebody with. Which brings us to our verse here. It says, our hope for you is unshaken. Verse 7, our hope for you is unshaken. We believe that we know that as you share in our sufferings, as you're with us in our sufferings, you're also going to receive comfort. It's a two-way street. We believe that as you give, you receive, and as you receive, you give. It's, a, it's cyclical. Our hope for you is unshaken. Have you ever put your hope in another human being? That's scary, isn't it? This is the level of community Jesus would want to say. And why are we able to do this? Because hope is coming from Jesus. We're deeply connected to Jesus. We're minding, reminding ourselves to be connected to Jesus and encouraging one another to be connected to Jesus. And because of him, our hope is unshaken. Which brings us to our last reminder. Remember, people need Jesus' presence, not our perfection. You see this in verse 4. It says, who, God who comforts us in all of our troubles or afflictions so that we are able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. There's that real-time expression. As God gives it to us, we're able to give it away. See, the mindset that we can come in and that God's going to heal us and then all of a sudden I can tell you how to fix your life is really absurd. It's pretty arrogant and very foolish. And on the back side of it, somewhere along the line, you are going to be disappointed and you're going to be hurt. And it's going to create more doubt and pain in your life than it's going to create faith and hope. Because, see, it's coming back and saying, me too. I have my doubts. I have my questions. And as I lean into Jesus, this is what I'm learning about Jesus. And I just want to encourage you with what Jesus says to us today. I want you to know Jesus. And it's opening up a little bit. It's reaching out to people. And it it's, takes away the pressure of having to say the right things when we're around hurting people. 
Because at the end of the day, people just want to know that there's someone there that they can turn to. They're not looking for you to fix their problems. There's not the magic word that's going to take their pain away. There's not this perfect phrase or prayer that you can pray that suddenly it's not going to hurt anymore. It's the constant reminder that you love them because God loves them and you want them to know that love and you're just a part of their life. We come together. That's why we come together, to remind each other of God's love and to love each other and to encourage each other. This is why we spend time outside of the church together over cups of coffee and open Bibles and folded hands and prayers. This is why we open up our living rooms and our houses and we allow people to sit in them and to be where they are and we don't place judgment on them. This is why we're supposed to do what we're supposed to do. It's a commitment to come together because we know that it's really easy to lose sight of Jesus' presence. Isn't it? I believe this is why the first church got together every day. In some way, shape, or form. I believe this is why they ate meals together. I believe this is why they prayed together. I believe this is why they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Poured themselves back over what they were hearing. Reminding each other each and every day. I believe that because it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to be alone. It's so easy to have hope feel like it's a million miles away when it's right in our midst by the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's church. It's about Jesus' presence. Some of you are sitting here thinking, it's like, well, that's great. But I'm not feeling it today. And I would say that's Okay. Some of you are not feeling it today because you think that God is judging you. He's angry with you. He's frustrated with you. Why else would he allow the pain to happen in your life? Some of you think, God doesn't care about me at all. He's forgotten me entirely. Because somehow you haven't measured up. That you're a disappointment to him. I want to share with you today that that's the biggest lie that you could believe leaving here today. God doesn't feel that way about anybody. That's not God's desire for anybody. God desires that all people would be saved, right? He knows that not everybody is going to respond to him, but God desires for all people to know him, to be saved from darkness, to be saved from pain, to experience hope and experience hope in this life and experience perfect hope in the life to come. God wants for everybody to experience that. God wants everybody to to have him in their life. And he makes himself available to everybody. But it's how they respond that determines whether they experience that or not. Whether they receive that or not. And that's where it gets messy. Because then we get confused and we think, well, if I do the right things, then I will experience God's presence. No. It comes back to where we began. Who do you perceive God to be? See, in Hebrews chapter 6, what's powerful about this book is that to be a Christian in this day and age, 
you were persecuted. You were, you know, stuck on a spear and set on fire to line the Roman streets. You were, you were torches, human street lights. You were thrown into the Colosseum and fed to lions as sport. And people would gamble to determine which would be the last Christian standing. They felt isolated. They felt alone. God, we believe in you. We're trying to follow you. And there was no hope in sight. The book of Hebrews is about that in chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. As you're dealing with the conflict, am I doing the right enough things? Am I going to really fall away? Am I a believer or not a believer? And all of that conflict, it's a really challenging chapter to read. It almost sounds like God doesn't securely save people, but he's really talking about the emotional experience where we struggle with doubt and fear, whether we're really believers, whether God really loves us or not, whether God cares. And he comes back and he bottom lines it in the chapter in verses 18 through 20. It says, so that by two unchangeable things, there are two unchangeable things that God offers in the verses before, his promise of salvation and his commitment to see it through. By those two unchangeable things, his promise and his power to see it through. It's unchangeable. You can't change it. You can't change it. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing collectively we can do to change God's promise of hope and salvation. Nothing. It's unchangeable. But God, I did this. It's unchangeable. But God, I did that. It's unchangeable. But God, the world doesn't see it. It's unchangeable. It does not change what God offers us. So by two unchangeable things, in which is an impossible for God to lie, in case you're wondering that God said unchangeable, maybe he's lying. He said it's impossible for me to lie. We have fled for refuge, might find strong encouragement, even when we're running for cover, might find strong encouragement to hold fast, to grab a hold of and not let go to the hope that is set before us. And what is the hope that's set before us? Jesus's love and redemption in our life. All immorality is rooted in darkness, God wants to change, bring light to that darkness and give hope and redemption and renewal. Whether it's through failed circumstances or your personal morality, God wants to be there to renew. God wants to walk with you. He wants to carry you when you can't go on. He wants to pray for you when you can't pray. He wants to love you when you don't want to love him in return. He wants to encourage you when you don't want to hear it. He wants to be an active, living presence in your life. Do you want that today? That's where it bottom lines. It's set before you. Right in front of you. Will you receive it? We have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Having become a high priest forever. What is he saying? 
the goal of God's presence in your life is to bring you into the most holy of places where you can stand in front of him in all of your incomplete, in all of your brokenness, in all of your morality that has failed and have confidence that God does not condemn. That God brings hope. We need Jesus' presence, not perfection. Will you come to him today? No matter who you are, where you are, will you come to him today with your brokenness and say, God, this is too much. I need you. I want you. That's our challenge today. So what about you? What is it in your life that's weighing you down? What is it in your life that feels hopeless? Will you bring that to Jesus today and would you lay it at his feet and say, God, this is too big for me. You're the God of all comfort and I need your comfort. I need you to carry me. I need you to lift me up. I need you to give me hope.